This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. This is part three in a continuing series, Surprising Former Careers, because people have their breakthroughs for certain things, and once they have that breakthrough, sometimes that's all they're known for. Uh, We talked a lot about presidents, right? That was of a special interest. Our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Uh, but, but Noel, as we found, th- there are a lot of people who did a lot of things before they ever became famous or public figures. Oh, no question about it. It's incredibly common. Today, we are going to talk about several folks that you are definitely familiar with from their uh, celebrity days, but perhaps had some more unassuming beginnings. Let's first talk about somebody that we all know and love, I think, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and an occupation that I was not aware of existed until this exact moment. Mm. The Night Whisperer. Yes, yeah. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, most famous as being the alter ego of Guinan in Star Trek, at least to a a young Ben Bolin, uh, turns out was not always calling herself Whoopi Goldberg, and was not always a very famous actor. She was born Karen Elaine Johnson 
1955, November 13th in New York City. And uh, now she has a huge, huge CV of all these different appearances. She, uh, <laughs> I remember her in Sister Act. My grandmother liked watching that movie. Dude, yeah, yes. yeah, huge fan. Huge I remember fan. Distinctly seeing in the theaters with my mom when I was a kid. So wholesome. And uh, she also now I think is maybe most known as a. Uh, uh, erstwhile co-host of the TV talk show The View. She's such a big deal in Hollywood. First black woman to win the coveted EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. We know a lot about her background. She was not born with a, in a Silver Spoon family. She grew up in a housing project, moved to California, found her home in the theater, and she made a lot of waves. Her Hollywood debut was in The Color Purple in 1985, and it slapped. Uh, it was a great adaptation of the book. She performed in more and more films, but let's fast forward past all of that and go to some information we learned in a 2011 segment from Good Morning America. Uh, Noel, I love the euphemism. Night Whisperer. That doesn't mean someone who goes out in the dark and uh, says some ASMR things to the moon, does it? Well, maybe not whispering exactly, but certainly uh, a particular type of delivery, if you know what I mean, on the telephone. This is back in the days before the internet, where if you wanted a little, uh, a little something-something, you might call a number with a nine in it. It's like a, a 900 number, or I think there was also like 917. There was different ones, but they usually sure. had a nine in them for some reason. Right, because 900 numbers were the ones you had to pay for. This segment on Good Morning America by Elizabeth Hasselback talks about a growing number of stay-at-home moms in 2011 who are earning income on the side as operators of phone sex lines. And now, you know, a lot of our fellow ridiculous historians listening today may not have seen a payphone, right? May have grown up with a smartphone. And back in the day, when the pursuits of vice were far less evolved, people would call these lines, these 900 lines or, you know, various prefixes, and they would pay crazy amounts of money to have blue conversation with a stranger who would give them something we would call ASMR today, very quiet storm, until it wasn't. Uh, and the mom said, look, this works for me. I'm making more money for the family. I'm able to spend time with my kids more often. And I just have to say some weird stuff on the phone. This was a big conversation. People were like, should this be off limits? And then that's when Whoopi Goldberg retorted, well, I was a phone sex operator. And, <laughs> and then famously, uh, someone else on the show said, well, surely that's in your past. Whoopi Goldberg said, how do you know? You don't know what I do at home. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and another good point is that, you know, today uh, her voice would be so recognizable. Oh, yeah. Would, you know, she'd never get away with it. But uh, there's a movie called, I think it's called Girl Six or something like mm, that. I think mm -hmm. it was a Spike Lee joint about phone sex operators. 
It was actually pretty cool, if I remember correctly. But yeah, what an interesting subculture. And, you know, today, ASMR is probably the most modern equivalent, like you said, Ben. But, you know, back back in those days, I think phone sex lines probably still exist in some niche kind of technological backlash, Luddite kind of way. Um, but, you know, back then they were big money makers too, because you, you got charged by the minute. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and cop to it. You could call the number. Uh, and without actually speaking to a person, I did usually hear some kind of sultry interlude from a pre-recorded lady. We kept trying to uh, do that when in in Boy Scouts we would sometimes walk. I guess you could say trek for miles and miles to the uh, center where there was a, a payphone, and <laughs> probably whomever's parents had the worst relationship, that kid would have the magazine that had the dirty numbers and we would try to call and see if we could talk to someone. Uh, And and now that's, you know, knowing that we obviously never got through and just heard those salacious interludes where somebody going, hmm, cool, no. Uh, (laughs) It seems like a strange, wholesome moment, a coming of age story, but it's it's really weird that we were doing that. And also, there are still a lot of um, a lot of people who do this as a part or full time job, uh, and I think that does that can count as sex work, and that's real work. So to be clear, we're absolutely not at all uh, diminishing what people Hell are doing no. here. Yeah, and it takes a lot of creativity when you think about it. You got to be able to act. You have to be able to improvise. You have to be able to kind of paint a scene with nothing but your voice. Really, if you think about it, you could say podcasting owes a little a little bit of uh, these phone operators, maybe. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people talk about uh, podcasts as being a way of kind of keeping them company or having a little bit of a companionship or sort of like a stand-in for a friend. And, you know, there certainly were people who maybe were shut-ins who would use these phone sex lines to just, just have a little bit of talk. human contact, you know? Yeah, and that's, a that's again... Um, that's a very human point. Uh, this was not. This was the former career of Whoopi Goldberg. We're not sure for how long, but it was not the former career of politician Justin Trudeau. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your teen requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off 
That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. That would have been a little bit more of a story, I think, if he was a former phone sex operator. But Justin Pierre James Trudeau, born in 1971 in Ontario, Canada, is a Canadian politician. He's all right at being a politician, you could say, because he is the prime minister of Canada. Uh, He is the leader of the Liberal Party. Uh, He's a bit of a, you know, people don't like the term, but he is benefiting from name recognition, if not nepotism, because he's the son of former four-time prime minister, Pierre Trudeau. And so he was always viewed as having these, you know, frankly, unfair advantages because of his childhood and because of the family he came from. But he didn't do a straight shot, you know, like from college to politics. Uh, He actually had a a kind of rough childhood because his parents divorced when he was just six. That's right. Margaret, who was 29 years younger than Trudeau's father, was the daughter of liberal MP James Sinclair and was kind of a a, a fixation of tabloids who accused her of having dalliances, let's say, with, uh, with rock stars and other celebrities. Finally, I guess this proved to be too much for the couple to take, and she moved out. Uh, so Trudeau and his two younger brothers were raised by their father, who remained in politics for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... 
after studying at a private French language Jesuit school in Montreal, the same one his father went to, Justin Trudeau earned a degree in English from McGill University. And instead of going straight into politics, he worked as a snowboard instructor. Ah, uh, yeah. He was he was one of those guys. He was a snow bro. And he, um, he had a soul patch, didn't he? I'm sure. Was he like one of the bad boy kind of bully snowboarders that messed with the nerds and the ski lodge and were always hooking up with the hot ski bunnies, you know? I hope, I you know, I hope not. I hope it was more wholesome, but I am certain his pants were too large and had a ton of pockets, you know? Like maybe he had some jinkos when he was not boarding. Uh, <laughs> let's see, this would have been the 90s, right? Wasn't that Jinko territory? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so he, And let's hope maybe he had one of those... Jinko and the longest of chain wallets. The longest chain wallet you can, you can stand. <laughs> and uh, he did this while he was getting a degree in education from the University of British Columbia. And then for a while, he taught high school French and elementary school math which makes you wonder, right? And things change in 2000. He's still very young. He's 28 years old, and he is at his father's funeral. And the eulogy he delivers puts him back in the national spotlight, and this opens the door for him to enter politics. And a lot of people love his father. And given the tragedy, they're saying... No, like even the prime minister at the time says, there is a place for you, Justin, in the Liberal Party, <laughs> which is not not what the average person gets. The average person doesn't get the prime minister or president of their country reaching out and saying, hey, you're 28. You want to go into politics with us? Especially after being a snowboarder, teaching math and French. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't you grind the powder of policy, Justin? You know, no, nothing like that. It's kind of weird, right? Um, but he doesn't enter politics for eight years, I think. No, but presumably he's kind of being groomed during this time. I right? right. Yeah, that's a good call. Is this before or after that uh, embarrassing photo of him was taken where he was dressed in blackface uh, I got a picture it was around this time because that seems like the kind of move that a snowboard bully would pull thinking that was real clever at one of his fancy Aspen parties I'm guessing before I'm guessing this is when it was in college-ish it was in 2001 uh, so right now in this story right now in this yeah. story uh, yeah and but this is after this is after he was no longer teaching snowboarding. So now, hey man, you can take the bully off the slopes, but you can't take the slopes out of the bully. Okay, yeah, that's All right. right. No, right. That's I'm right. thinking it through. I'm thinking mm -hmm. it through. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so, so he does this blackface photo. Very, very boneheaded and offensive thing to do. He goes back to Quebec in 2002. He starts studying to be an engineer, and he abandons it. And then he starts studying environmental geography, 
and does not complete it. And while he's doing all of that, he's working at a radio station in Montreal. He covers the 2004 Olympic Games. He gets uh, he gets a gig in a TV miniseries, The Great War. Uh, he becomes a spokesperson for Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, unpaid. Uh, and then he serves as the chairman of the board of directors at a volunteer organization his father established. He did a lot before he became prime minister and entered politics. He... Um, I think the press appreciates that he's pretty open about his past jobs. He did a interview with Laura Logan in 60 Minutes where he listed even more jobs. And we, we have the quote for you here. Some of the other ones might surprise you folks. Indeed. Well, I was a snowboard instructor. I was a bouncer in a nightclub. I was a whitewater river guide. Hey, that's in the other 80s movie where he's the whitewater river guide bully. Uh, I worked as a teacher. Okay, okay. Uh, I made no apologies for a very varied set of life experiences. Right on, man. I, I appreciate that. Don't make an apologies. Though, maybe apologize for the, the blackface thing. He did. He didn't just... Yeah, he did. He did a pretty good job. He didn't just apologize for the uh, 2001 brownface. He also apologized for the blackface he wore in high school. That's right. He did it more than once. Uh, oh. And his one of his statements uh, that we'll, we'll end it here is this. The fact of the matter is that I've always, and you'll know this, been more enthusiastic about costumes than is sometimes appropriate. I don't love it. Uh, do you guys know about his special skill he has? Oh boy. What is it? I don't like the sound of this. Yeah. I, no, because you bad. did some, not... for everybody, Max did some air quotes. Well, I learned about this because when he was first running to be prime minister, John Oliver did a segment about him and the other person who's running for prime minister. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the way he talked about Trudeau was he's like, he's a little, he's a little aloof and he has this skill, his party trick he does where he falls down flights of stairs. Oh, so he's sort of like a Fletch type figure. Yeah. Sort of a Chevy chase. Is it, is it really a trick? Like he is purposely doing pratfalls? Yep. That's yeah, cool. yeah. He, 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 he does, he does it for the person doing the interview. Like they had a clip of him just falling down a flight of stairs. He gets up. He's like, I'm fine. I like, love that. I would, I yeah. do that. Uh, that sounds like fun, but he also, uh, real facts. He did. He did also profusely apologize. He was able to save his, uh, political career. Uh, but speaking of saving things, we have saved the best for the last in this episode of surprising former careers. The man, the myth, the legend, the one, eyes, the eyes, the pure lore eyes, one of our favorite, most distinctively faced actors. You know him from what? Con Air, probably. Reservoir Dogs, Con Air. Yeah, it's the only movie that matters. Also honestly. Con Air. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Buscemi. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. 
Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Steve Buscemi, who seems like a really good dude off screen, right? He totally does. I think this one... Some folks might know about this one. Um, we're going to give you a little more uh, detail. Steve Buscemi actually was uh, kind of a real-life hero. He was a firefighter before becoming the quirky, amazing character actor that we know and love today. He was a New York City firefighter. And then actually 
came back and volunteered as a firefighter again after September 11th to help, you know, his former brethren, you know, in the in the uh, NYFD. Yes, exactly. Uh, And he talks about this. He says, my dad was a sanitation worker for New York City. His message to me and my brothers was, when you turn 18, take whatever civil service test is available. Lucky for me, it was the fire departments. I didn't yet know what I wanted to do for a career, but at Engine 55 in lower Manhattan, I found something even better, brotherhood. Steve Buscemi was not born into wealth and aristocracy. He was born to working class parents in Brooklyn in 1957. They eventually moved out to Long Island. And this guy was, you know, your average kid. He was good at wrestling, soccer. He liked doing theater, but he wasn't confident enough. I I think at this time, maybe he didn't see it as an attainable job. So he takes his civil service exam And he goes on a couple of years of odd jobs while he's waiting to get a chance to work at the fire department of New York. He he is a gas station attendant. He drives an ice cream truck, which now seems really creepy for Steve Buscemi, given some of his other roles. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point. I mean, look. The man is a legend. He is absolutely uh, one of my favorite actors, I think, of all time. I love him, yeah. He, he's got a look that he does, a bit of a crypt keepery type vibe. And in a, in a, in a, in, you know, in those ice cream man whites rolling around, beckoning young children come hither, that's a little on the creepy side. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have a trust me to sell ice cream face. You know what I mean? Like if I if I saw him roll, and we should do a thing, a history of ice cream trucks too, because that gets sketchy pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. So while he's doing this, he's feeling some ennui. It's kind of aimless existence. We've all been there when life feels a little too much, like a waiting room. He spends these what what are called empty nights at a local bar. Uh, this is becomes the basis for a film he makes in. 1997 called Trees Lounge. And before all that happens, years before, he finally summons up the nerve to go into an acting class at the Lee Strasberg Institute in Manhattan. And we can go into depth about all the stuff he was he was trying to do. He he didn't have an easy time coming around to it, but eventually he gets involved. He starts doing stand-up comedy. He starts making some um, inroads in the somewhat insular downtown theater communities. In 1980, he gets to the top of the New York Fire Department list, and so that's when he signs up to work at Engine Number 55 in Soho, and Originally, he's just treating this like a job. You know what I mean? The acting, the performing stuff, that's a hobby. He thinks Mm -hmm. of himself professionally as a firefighter. But when he goes to parties with his coworkers, he starts doing some stand-up for his fellow firefighters. I hope it's very firefighter-specific comedy, too. Like how Fred Armisen did that stand-up for drummers. Do you guys remember that? 
Oh yeah, no, no, it's super cool. Uh, I, I I haven't seen it live, but I've definitely seen some clips from it. And that guy's a genuine, incredible musician, and has a lot of history with excellent bands. Like he's friends with Carrie Brownstein because he was actually in bands that played with Slater Kenny and a lot of those, you know, uh, legendary Seattle bands from the nineties. Yeah, and so Steve eventually is thinking, you know, I want to focus more and more on acting. Uh, and so he starts doing more and more comedy. And over the next eight years, he performs with a comedy duo. Uh, they call themselves Steve and Mark, him and a guy named Mark Boone Jr. And they get love from the New York Times. They start producing entirely new shows every week, which is a lot of work. And now the guy is starting to feel sort of torn between two worlds. Am I an actor or mm -hmm. am I a firefighter? Yeah. And I mean, he was, <laughs> look, this, this, all of this speaks to this Steve Buscemi having an absolute heart of gold because he was able to kind of answer that question. And I think he's both, you know, the firefighter uh, kind of spirit never really left him. And he was able to truly lend a hand, not just with his celebrity, but an actual hand, you know, helping clear debris and do all kinds of things in the, the, you know, I mean, of all of, I mean, I know the NYPD was hugely helpful as well, uh, but it was really the fire department that kind of came out as the true heroes of 9-11. Yeah. So he had, and he was one of them. Yeah. He, he had left the fire department. He told himself, you know, I'm not quitting my job. I'm taking a leave of absence and I'll be back when I'm done with this movie and this play I'm working on. But when he leaves, uh, it takes like 17 years past. He is in Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Fargo, Big Lebowski, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and of course, most famously, the seminal work, uh, the seminal work of cinema, Con Air. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, look, it, it, at the very least, it generated one of the most incredible gifts of all time, which is just Nicolas Cage with his fake flowing locks, just like Fabio blowing in the wind, you know? Oh, yeah. That was a that was a crazy time for film, too. You know, The Rock was right around that time as well with Sean Connery. Anyway. Do you know The Rock has a Criterion Collection edition? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't think Con Air does. But uh, The Rock, for some reason, was worthy of that, of, of to be included in the canon, you know? Well, I mean, Con Air is on the level of Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper's vibes. You know what I mean? Like, it's Criterion has to earn enough prestige to be able to issue a collection with those or an edition with those. And, you know, maybe they'll get there one day because Steve Buscemi became a world-class actor. So maybe one day Criterion can afford the rights to Con Air. Oh, you know what I'm realizing? Again, this is, I, I love Steve Buscemi and he, his, his look as a person is not the issue here. I think what's happening is I'm remembering his character in Con Air. Right, that's what's happening. was a child molester, <laughs> you know? So just, right? Or a serial a killer, not a child molester. Serial killer, but also potential child, there's there's serious molesty vibes where there's mm, like a girl yeah. in, a, in an empty swimming pool or something and he's just kind of, really leering and this, you know, like I'm not uh, letting go of vibes. You know, I really think Criterion Channel should consider it. Uh, I completely they, agree. They, yeah. they, <laughs> vibes has vibes for days. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And gold bloomiest gold bloom performance you'll ever see. Very much so. And, uh, you know, good luck to you, Criterion. Uh, so 
Bushimi does, like you said, Noel, this is a heart of gold moment. Bushimi does return to service as a firefighter, even when he's an A-list actor, because he says the following. One of the strongest sensations that flooded over me on September 11th, 2001 was that feeling of connection, referring to that firefighter brotherhood. The next morning, I grabbed my old gear, got a lift to the site, found a place on a bucket brigade. Instead of water going up, it was rubble coming down. Once in a while, a body bag was passed, though none weighed much at all. It was disturbing. The dust, it was more of a nuisance, pulverized concrete, and who knows what, the clogged a face mask so fast you worked better without one. Somebody'd say, this is probably going to kill us in 20 years. It actually felt good to be there. I was on the site for less than a week, but it wasn't until I got home that the magnitude of it all caught up with me. I was already seeing a therapist and thought it was almost impossible to process the enormity of what had happened. Just having someone with whom to sit with, all the feelings was a consolation not something first responders usually get. Announcing vulnerability is a hard thing for anyone, but especially for people whose primary identity is as a protector. And that's where we're going to pause today. Uh, This is not the end of former careers, which seems like one long episode, but we do hope you enjoyed it. And as always, the moral of this story, if moral there be, is that people contain multitudes. And some of your favorite or most hated prominent historical and public figures have been a lot of other things before the spotlight ever turned to them. And you know, who knows? Looking back through the decades or the centuries, maybe one day future historians will say, funny thing about those guys is they used to host a podcast. Indeed. Also, I just want to ask, what is y'all's most ridiculous former career? I don't think we've done this before on these. Oh, yeah. I, I think I know. Maybe I know yours, Ben. You might, you always, you always surprise me. Mine would probably be, I worked at a science center doing like uh, science shows for kids' school groups. Things where you like, you know, rub the balloon on your hair and make static. And we had like a, one of those plasma balls and things like that. It was pretty cool. It actually, honestly, was a, it pre- prepared me for, you know, public speaking and this kind of stuff. It was kind of fun. Ben, I think I might know yours, but, but give it to us. What's, what would you say yours might be? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think through it, No, Um, I would need to defer. Max, can you, can you, uh, vamp some stage time for me? What about you? But unless, yeah. no, unless you can guess, cause I, I'm having a hard time thinking which one was the weirdest. I know you wrote for a golf magazine, which is kind of just so out of character for you yeah. that I just always <laughs> will remember that as long as I live. That was that was one. I don't know if it's the strangest, but yeah, thank you. I totally forgot about that. You brought it up. That was a weird grift. All right, you, Mr. Williams. Yeah, so it wasn't selling windows door to door, but that was a pretty bad and weird one. It was, I worked at this place called Zamba Funland, which was, um, the way we described it was if Chuck E. Cheese kind of fell on a hard time, this is the place <laughs> he would have. Yeah. And I, I mean, was, Chuck E. Cheese already feels like if Chuck E. Cheese fell on a hard time. Yeah, so. Chuck E. Cheese harder is time. like hanging on by the fingernails of, of life, right? Uh, wait, so Zamba, Z-A-M-B-A? Or Z- yeah, X. Zamba Funland. It was a privately owned uh-huh. play area in Dunwoody. I was like 19 freshman in college, and I was a technician. So I had to fix the machines. Did they have animatronics? They, they did not. No, unfortunately not. But they did have, 
you know, ski ball and they have that one with the light spins around, you have to time it right. And, you know, kids are coming up shoving tokens in it. It was a very strange place. I found out eventually my friend Ryland got me the job there so he could have someone else work with him so he could just go outside and get high. Oh, yeah. No, I, I always assumed that a lot of people, how else would you get through the day working in some of those things? Uh, <laughs> surprising former careers, indeed. I'm still trying to think what the weirdest legal job I had was. Uh, well, this is a story for maybe another day, but, uh, <laughs> but Noel, I, I do have to reply. Like, you are right. I did, I did write some, um, stuff for golf magazines. And the person who hired me said that I didn't have to visit the courses and they were they were fine with me not A, knowing much about golf or B, being interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, so read golf magazines with a grain of salt. In the meantime, we can't uh, wait for you to join us for some future episodes, folks. We got a lot of cool stuff on the way. We're going to call it a day here. Thanks as always to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Zamba Funland. Thanks to the Science Museum, Noel, that you worked at. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this track. And thanks to everybody who's had a really weird job in the past. I think they're formative for, for people's character. You know what I mean? completely agree uh and thanks again to, to super producer and research associates max williams for uh, rolling out another banger of a of a research brief this is a fun one i look forward to uh, continuing this occasional ongoing series <laughs> yes 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 uh and here's to continuing our surprising current career <laughs> we'll see you next time folks For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. 
Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.